Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Climate Change Unfolding. Today is a little different to previous episode. It's my first proper interview, unless you count the interview with my son Cato, which you probably shouldn't, given he's only five months old. I'm going to interview Bill Farmer, who's a total legend in climate change in East Africa. Before I get into the interview, I wanted to make a couple of quick mentions. First up, I mentioned it last episode and I'll do it again. Thanks so much to all the people who contacted me about the podcast or about climate change in general. So many interesting things have been coming my way and a lot of people are really passionate about it. I initially thought to try and weave some of these thoughts that you guys have been sharing into the main dialogue of the podcast uh, when the time came and when it was appropriate. But given the diversity of comments and the things that are being suggested and sent my way, it's not really going to be practical. And I think there are some really interesting things being thrown out there that are worth sharing. So here's what I'm going to do. Starting with next episode, at the end of each episode, I'm going to do a really short community section where I'll share an item or two that I thought worth a share that people have sent through to me that week. So keep them coming. If you send, send me something and I think it's interesting, I think everyone else might find it interesting, I'll take a look. I'll give it a shout out at the end of the episode and that includes critique. So if there's thoughts and like criticisms or problems with the episode, you know, or interesting spin-offs that you guys have found, then I'll use that community section to have a little bit of chat about that at the end of every episode. Secondly, I'm, I'm working at the moment to get an episode out every Tuesday. So if you have listened to a few episodes and wondering when the next might come out, just so you've got a bit of regularity, that's what you might expect. Still not a like cut and dry 100% thing. So better to subscribe if you're interested to know when the new episode's coming out and you'll get a little uh, ping on your phone. I also don't know whether that's going to be a long-term thing that I can sustain, but I've got more ideas than I can cope with right now. So I'm, I'm going to go for once a week for now. Let me get on to today's guest, Bill Farmer. He's a really knowledgeable guy. He's a founding member of the Uganda Carbon Bureau. He's an expert in carbon offsetting and carbon footprinting, which is how I first came about him in a professional context. Uh, Bill and his team has been helpful for me to get my audits done accurately and effectively. And he also runs an operation which can externally verify a company or organization He's been involved with all sorts of projects associated with mitigating climate change, including various offsetting programs that he's helped to set up and been a part of. He's been involved with changes to offset programs that's had ripple effects all over the world, particularly in the third world. So really influential and interesting guy with a lot of wisdom. Just to give you an example, a few years ago when the Commonwealth heads of government, including the Queen, came to Uganda for a a meeting called Chogham in Uganda for short. But um, Bill was asked by the Uganda parliament to provide a briefing about climate change and how it's going to affect the region, to explain to everyone what steps could be taken in advance of the changes. Not many conversations happen around the carbon subject in Uganda without Bill's name coming up in one way or another. And he's quietly, selflessly helping all sorts of projects get off their feet. So it's a real pleasure and honour, really, to get a chance to interview him for this podcast and hopefully gives an opportunity for a few more people around the world to hear what he has to say. So, enough of an introduction. Let me get straight into it. I hope you enjoy the interview with founder of the Ugandan Carbon Bureau, Bill Farmer. All right, Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, I thought we'd start with a bit of an introduction, let people get to know you a little bit, set the scene. So can you tell me when and how you came to be here living in Uganda? It was nearly 20 years ago I was recruited to be the team leader for uh, the reform of Uganda's forestry sector. So the donors, a group of them, had agreed to supply some technical expertise. 
and I was recruited from Swaziland where I was working and uh, it was a really exciting experience. Um, lots of challenges and so over the 20 years I've taken a keen interest in the work that we did and the way it's unfolded and um, it's a small community here so you tend to get known and with a name like Farmer people think that's quite novel. Yeah. That's your occupation rather than your name. Yes. Sir. And uh, so uh, my family, my three daughters, my wife and I put down strong roots now in Uganda. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, amazing story. It must have changed quite a bit in the 20 years since you arrived. Things moved on or different or how do you feel like Uganda's changed in that time? It, well, it's developed uh, beyond measure that you can go to big supermarkets, superstores for all the stuff that previously you had to go around the back streets looking for secondhand fridges and the like. So materially, it's really started to boom. But still there are losers in the system and uh, mm-hmm. much of the work that we're doing now is aimed at, at giving people at the base of the pyramid a lift up very important work here yeah amazing family that you've got you know i know your daughters separately you know amazing story and and uh you've definitely carved out your own path in life you know to bring into climate change and sustainability where do you think your motivation for that side of things comes from or where did that where's the origin of that I think the origin was going to the climate change meeting in Nairobi not long after we'd been here. And I really didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to be a meeting of meteorologists mixed up with a load of development folk. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Nick Stern was there, the economics of climate change, some of the leading figures. And I just couldn't believe what I was hearing about the situation that we're in. Subsequent meetings, we, we went to Bali, the one after that, sat in front of Al Gore, and really it then became a, a sort of consuming issue that the planet's in serious trouble. And if you can do something about it in a very modest way, you know, everybody chips in the same as well. We might have a chance of giving something decent to our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But I just felt that the whole topic was so unknown and yet people were starting to experience climate change effects in Uganda. Absolutely. So that kind of information dissemination and then looking at the forestry sector, improved cook stoves, biogas digesters, energy projects, it just seemed a more worthwhile thing to do than just uh, shuffling paper. Right, sure. Uh, yeah. In some other assignment. And in that period, I also went back up to South Sudan to work and nobody had heard of climate change there. But now that the situation is transformed, every African country is well up to speed. Yeah. And the African group of countries are, are a, a very articulate group bringing mm-hmm. climate change topics to the forefront of policy. So you said we went to one conference. That seemed like the spark of the, the, that opened the doors. And then from there forward, you, did, you, you just learned and researched and it kind of was a snowball effect from there, was it? It was. In the two weeks of that conference, there were many new, newbies like myself and we were certainly giving high fives in the second week when we'd understood every abbreviation <laughs> of the previous one-hour side event. But, you know, that was slightly intimidating. And, and now we just speak that language. But I guess it was seeing trees being chopped down in Uganda at a terrible rate on private land. Mm-hmm. People not realizing the, the effects of, of a whole nation doing that for, for CO2 levels in the yeah. atmosphere. And then realizing that, that much of those, many of those trees were being chopped down for wood fuel. Mm-hmm. So if you could get a better way of doing your cooking, that impact on the environment would be lessened. And the fact that people can earn carbon credits and sell them 
for a decent price, suddenly made me realize that that's a clear way to go forward. And at an earlier stage, I'd been funded by the British government to do a, an MBA, the first person from the aid budget to ever do that. And I thought, well, with some of those business smarts, I should be able to put together some project packages that would do something about this topic. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds great. Let's dig into that cook stove thing a little bit more. You're a founding member of the Ugandan Carbon Bureau. And one of the things you do within that, there's, uh, or that you've been quite heavily involved with, is this cook stove thing. Do you want to just explain a little bit more about that? Uh, sure. Well, somebody who's using a cook stove, say a, a wood-burning one, is turning wood into atmospheric carbon. So you've got terrestrial carbon, the wood, it's sitting here nicely stored. And as they burn it, they're releasing the CO2 into the atmosphere. So that's their household's humble con contribution to climate change. Mm -hmm. Plus plenty of other bad effects on a poor quality stove. A lot of smoke, you need a lot of fuel. Um, but if you switch to a better stove, you could uh, reduce to less than a third the emissions of carbon dioxide. And clearly, it's in everybody's interest to use a better stove because in basically wood-burning traditional communities, it's three-stone fire. Mm -hmm. So that is literally the Stone Age technology. And we met up with one or two groups making stoves, and it became clear that there's a market for their improved stoves, but some people can't afford it, afford it uh, to pay the new price. So with carbon finance coming into the equation, uh, the new groups now are offering affordably priced stoves, free annual maintenance to keep them running, mm -hmm. and a share of the carbon money afterwards for community projects or whatever they want, the people want to spend the money on. So that struck me as people doing good in Uganda for the climate and for themselves yeah. and for Uganda's environment. So why not spend your life uh, focusing on things like that? We've done an umbrella for biogas digesters, we're doing something for forestry, and of course, forestry is the source of the fuel largely for the cook stoves. But now we've added a second so-called methodology, encouraging people to switch to use briquettes made out of waste. Is it the cook stoves or That's the right. burners? Yeah, yeah, using what sort of waste, like household waste? or yeah. So people are making briquettes out of a variety of things, both here and elsewhere on the continent. Municipal solid waste, biomass, uh, coffee husks, matoki peelings. Okay, uh, charcoal dust that's left over, mm -hmm. wood shavings. There are groups in, in Kampala now really up on the technology. And uh, it's a solution to a problem, what to do with all the waste mm -hmm. in, in the capital city. But it's also a solution to why deplete hillsides of trees all around Uganda just to produce charcoal that you're going yeah. to burn. Yeah, absolutely. There are many of us with this view that biomass is there, use the waste stuff before you go and chop down another tree. Absolutely, sounds good. So like, I'm just going to hit back on something you said there. So so if someone's got their traditional sort of three rocks in a, in a triangle basically and they stick a pan on top, um, and then they replace that with one of your stoves. They use less than a third of the wood or materials that they're going to burn. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. Around they're the, uh, around they're the going third. to reduce down to about a third. Um, yeah. We've just done some slides for a yeah. group in Rwanda yesterday, and they quoted their figure of 30%. Great. So for women going out scavenging wood or children, uh, it's a risky business. Yeah. So if you've only got to get a third of the stuff that you've been collecting, then that lowers risk and the burden on people to yeah. go and find uh, fuel. 
Yeah, it's total sort of win-win-win, you know, less trees being chopped down, less collection of firewood, less uh, all, all round, you know, less money maybe to because to, you're using less materials and then uh, that's really good. And just to kind of get a scale of the idea, do you, you have a, like a ballpark of how many people in Uganda might be using that sort of inefficient triple rocks cooking stove in Uganda? Well, just I mean, about 40 million, Just about everyone in, in is 40 million. In a rural area yeah. is going to be using their traditional uh, cooking method. And that is it. It's been going on yeah. for Eons. hundreds <laughs> yeah, of yeah. years since the Stone Age, you could say, like people did in Europe. Yeah, there's 40 million people in, in Uganda and probably a third, two-thirds of them maybe are, are from a rural area. And so there's this huge amount of people here that, that are really working that, on that sort of same a- setup. Absolutely. Wow, so, yeah, so definitely huge potential. And then, the, like, the triple whammy is that people can buy carbon credits and not only does the money go to the... That those local people, but they also they're offsetting their own sort of emissions. Say someone in the West can, you know, or in the UK or Europe or whatever, could pay the emissions, get the uh, offset, and uh, and at the same time help these guys. And so they get some of the money from or from the emission offset. All of the members under our umbrella have to agree to share the net uh, cash uh, from the sale of the carbon credits to, to share that with the people who are actually using the stoves because the stove doesn't save CO2 emissions itself. It's yeah. the woman switching from one week to the next, from a polluting stove to a much cleaner stove, and uh, she should have the incentive to switch and receive a benefit yeah. from having made that switch. And the word will then travel. Mrs. So-and-so around the corner yeah. has got a new stove, it's affordable, it's maintained each year, and she gets some benefit, either individually or yeah. in her group. Um, and that will set things on fire when people really yeah. understand it's not a hoax. Actually, you can see the cheapest yeah. of the annual maintenance and the group has maybe fixed its borehole or put solar panels on the clinic. Yeah, there's nothing like a bit of financial incentive to get things moving in Uganda, you know, and anywhere really, but that's, uh, that's really awesome. And I don't think many initiatives do it like that. I understand it. Those are the, the benefits, the financial benefits of the offset goes directly to those women cooking in the, in the villages. Is that right? Or that, I... That's been one of our hallmarks from day one. And we've influenced a large chunk of the global cookstove uh, yeah. market for carbon credits to Amazing. acknowledge that it's the women making the switch that create the emission reductions not the stove maker or anybody else. They have a stake in it, they're selling yeah. stoves. But once it's in your possession, what you do with it, the effect belongs to you. So that's been quite a long run exercise. And we're finding that people want to support us because they like that. And the quality yeah. of the carbon credits reflects that. And the people we're talking to right now are very comfortable about introducing fresh groups in neighboring countries to us where they know we can extend that principle and the principle of a fair trade deal for people in rural areas rather than being in effect ripped off because it's, it seems too complicated. So yeah, I'll, I'll link in the, in the show notes and in the, um, on the website for the, the project that you're doing. So that if, if there's someone listening who thinks they want to offset, then maybe we can, uh, they can offset through your project. Let's move on from the, uh, the cookstove, though I could probably talk all day about that. <laughs> um, but that's, uh, that's really great. So not only are you offsetting your carbon emission, but you're also helping those, those people in low-income set up to pull themselves with just that tiny little notch out of poverty. So that's really awesome. So right now, I've, oh, I've recently finished sort of doing a carbon audit, and I came about it in a bit of a non-typical way, just threw myself into it, and, and only 
towards the tail end realized that that you were available and here in Uganda and I probably should have done it the other way around but anyway so the, you know you also offer these services to help people uh, do what I'm doing now so um, so if someone wants to take their company or charity through a carbon audit and, and approach you from the beginning do you want to just talk a, like a really little bit about how it works and what the process would be what would they do and how they how would you work through it with them so to help somebody look at their carbon footprint we use the greenhouse gas protocol as an international standard and that frames the calculations we meet a group we explain what it's all about it's basically energy use uh, whether it's aircraft flights whether it's uh, fuel for the vehicles whether it's electricity for the office and the houses or whatever and uh, we've got standard uh, excel spreadsheets where we get them to record their past 12 months of energy use and then we use the uh, calculators that we have and basically uh, assess their carbon footprint and give them some tips on how they can reduce it and we try and get that on an annual cycle so you can people can see what the impact was of trying to reduce that footprint but of course for many groups you can't turn the lights off at night you need them on um, you've got to drive some vehicles but you can drive your vehicles more wisely uh, you probably can only reduce your flights as a group by so much, there's a minimum. So the idea is measure, try and reduce, and then offset whatever you can't reduce below. And offsetting means buying carbon credits, say, from a tree-growing group in Uganda, whose trees are in effect washing your dirty dishes. Mm -hmm. You've polluted the atmosphere to a degree. Uh, that community's trees are now absorbing that pollution into the structure of their trees, and they're selling you carbon credits. And in Uganda, it's the Plan Vivo standard that we favoured, and uh, local group Ecotrust has now issued more than a million carbon credits to Ugandan tree growers, which is a real incentive, because that's grown from a small group near Bushenyi, and it's now spreading across the country. Amazing, so measure, reduce, offset. You know, in a real simple way, you know, so that it's a, that, and that's kind of the process that I'm going through now, which is first measure, identify where I'm releasing, what my responsibility is, and both for my businesses and my own personal life. And now what I'm looking at is how to reduce. So if you operate in Uganda and you specialize, but the greenhouse gas protocol, that's an international standard. And from, from what I understand from the process that I went through with you guys, someone doesn't have to be in Uganda in order to contact you about that. Or do you only deal with people in Uganda? We've only, in effect, certified businesses in Uganda so yeah. far, just because of the convenience of it. Mm -hmm. But we're happy to give advice, like we've done to yeah. you and others, to say, send us an email. We'll yeah. tell you what you should be doing, or put you in touch with organizations that yeah. are in your neck of the wood. And there's a lot of online information now. Uh, a few years ago, it was scarce. Now you can find calculators. What you may find is the price of the carbon credits that they'll charge yeah, you for if sure. they supply them may be um, maybe a bit higher than if you're buying them locally in Uganda. Yeah, yeah, sure. They're bound to be. But that's no bad thing. One of the groups that's doing cook stoves with us, the Rwandan group, they've already sold their anticipated carbon credits forward to a church set up in Germany where the parishioners there are offsetting their carbon footprints. And they want to know who produced these carbon credits. In their case, it's uh, uh, church groups in Rwanda where the households are enjoying a new stove courtesy of the advance payments for those carbon credits. So that kind of deal is one we're trying to replicate because it, it provides working capital to the cash-strapped group.
groups here in the neighborhood of Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya, and around. And uh, it's another example of you don't have to wait for an aid project to come around. You can actually deliver a service and get paid for it. Great, yeah, so so my personal experience there was like, actually I probably should have come to you guys straight from the start. If I'd have known, I probably would have, but um, so I went through quite an extended process and then actually what you, you know, you already had established protocols, you know what you need to do, you're, you're using an international standard. Once I had the data about how much energy I was using and fuel and whatever, it, it was actually very straightforward to go through that. So yeah, I can definitely recommend that and I'll, and I'll give some links as, as well to that. So if people want to reach out and, uh, and contact you, then that's really awesome. Thanks for that offer. What's interesting is to find out where the carbon credits come from, what kind mm -hmm. of project, because we've seen people then pick an interest actually in those projects. Or if they're tourists coming to Uganda, they might want to visit the community from where the tour company is buying its carbon credits. So the tourists have enjoyed a week's safari, they've used up quite a bit of diesel fuel, but it's quite healthy for them and the tree growers to meet up and discover the business relationship that they've mm -hmm. got between themselves. One group can't avoid polluting, but another group is benefiting because that uh, the tourist company is buying tree carbon credits from the group in Bushenye. Now, I know you've got a million things on you, but I'll be respectful of your time. Just to kind of wrap up, the last thing, if someone comes to you, why should I do this? You know, what would you say to them? Well, it's the start of a bigger process that all the companies in the world are going through right now. Do we want to buy electricity that's generated by fossil fuels? Or do we prefer to buy power from a wind farm? Some of the multiple sources of, of energy now. And it, it ripples right through the whole organization. Why waste things when you don't need to? It's extraordinary to see the way the corporate world and the investment world has shifted in the last couple of years. They're dropping the dirty investments, they're picking up on the clean stuff. And at the corporate level, if you can save money by doing something green, well, it's win-win. The company gets a good profile, workers feel a lot happier, uh, clients are comfortable seeing genuinely what's been happening. Uh, don't claim things that you're doing that you aren't really doing, because people will check. But I think there's a virtuous cycle at work now, generally, across the planet, where people realize whether you're on a small island in the Pacific or you're in Denmark where sea level is going to rise and affect you, they're all in the same boat. And as Marks and Spencer say, it's plan A because there is no plan B. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. That's really great, Bill. Let's wrap up there. I've got like a million questions I'd like to ask you, but maybe we'll do a, a round two sometime. But I really appreciate the time that you've taken to, and the wisdom you've shared. Where can people find you online? I'll, I'll leave some links in all the show notes and the blog, but uh, they can check out Uganda Carbon Bureau website or where That's else? That's it. Just, just yeah. Google us, uh, Uganda Carbon Bureau, put in my name, Bill Farmer. We're easy to find. And if you're in Kampala, we're easily found in Laboa on the Entebbe Road. Sure. Okay. Well, thanks very much for your time, Bill, and uh, have a great day and appreciate all the, all the wisdom. Thank you. That was my first interview. I learn a lot from doing it, and I'm sorry about the odd crackle that happened during the episode. I hope it wasn't too off-putting. I only realized afterwards that that had happened, and there's only so much you can do about that now. But um, I hope you enjoyed. If you feel like you got some use or wisdom out of one of these episodes, or from Bill, or anyone that comes on the podcast, the only ask really is to tell someone about it. I'd love for a few more people to hear each episode. And of course, for you to click subscribe and listen to the next one and come along on this journey with me. So if you feel inclined or if you feel inspired, that would be great. 
I'm trying to get better at it and I'm enjoying the process of learning and I'm, I'm enjoying having all of you guys along with me. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any thoughts, critiques, ideas, inspiration, anything else, please get in touch. Sam at climatechangeunfolding.com or at Sam James Ward on Twitter. This is Sam Ward, Climate Change Unfolding. See you next time.